Hello and welcome to episode 76 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray surveying the flight deck as we prepare for takeoff to destinations unknown in another instalment of this disorganised shambles that we call a podcast. We will, however, be on our best behaviour this week because we have a very special guest on the line from the US to talk all things golf and especially the year's third major, the PGA at Kiwa Island, where Greg Chalmers finished just 15 shots behind winner Rory McIlroy in 2012, though, in fairness, he was just seven behind second place, which puts that in perspective. We'll find out how Greg managed all that in just a moment, but first, I welcome to my co-host, Adrian Logue who's been on an early morning photography binge this past week, if his Twitter account is the guide. You're like a kid at Christmas with that new drone of yours, aren't you? Yeah, uh, yeah. the weather's great at the moment in Sydney. It's crisp in this sort of time. It's, it's there's something about the clear, light and the feel. Everything's it's beautiful and great colours. And, yeah, it's, it's, and it's so good to get out early in the morning and actually do something with your life, you know? Have you touched a golf club since you had the drone or have you just walked golf courses and photographed them from the air? I still play a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> Occasionally find yeah. some time. But it is, it's just nice being out in a golf course yeah, no. at, at that time of day. And you've taken some fabulous shots, I've got to say, too. Oh, thank that, you. That'd all be on like Instagram, praise. would they? Or? Like praise from you. Yeah, I'm at Adrian Logue on Instagram. Go and check out Logue's Instagram account if you like photos of golf courses. There's some good stuff on there. Back to the important stuff. Uh, as mentioned in the intro, our guest today was in the field nine years ago when Kiwa Island last hosted a major championship where a plus two total was enough to earn a share of 32nd spot alongside, and this will date things, Luke Donald, Bill Haas, and John Senden. He's one of the game's genuine good guys, and I think making his second podcast appearance for the week, Greg Chalmers. Hello, mate. What's the other pod you were on this week? Was it Glenn Whittle's show down here in Sydney? He does a good job with that. Yeah, it was, mate. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We chatted for about an hour. Thanks for that. G'day to Adrian. Hope you guys are well. Um, yeah, we chatted a little bit on Glenn Whittle's pod yesterday. Don't do a lot of it, so it's always a bit of fun here and there, so... Um, looking forward to it. Is there a media future in the career for Greg Chalmers? You're very good on Twitter, I must say. The golf nerds mm. that we all follow you, I think you, yep. your stuff on Twitter is good. Is it something you've ever thought about? I know you've still got a playing career. I'm not suggesting for a moment that you're done there. You're like 50% journalist if you're good at Twitter. <laughs> that's right. You're halfway there. That's <laughs> yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I tweet when I'm bored and I, I tweet when, uh, you know, I enjoy. sometimes I enjoy the cesspool of it because I don't take myself that seriously. So some people seem to take themselves pretty seriously on Twitter. Um, but uh, I don't. I'm quite happy to poke fun at myself or uh, or other people at the same time. So, uh, no, I know I don't know, mate. I uh, I don't know what I'd do if I wasn't playing right now. But uh, we'll see how things unfold. Well, you're certainly not done with it, as I said. Uh, 48 years old. You just told us that you got nine tournaments potentially in the next 15 weeks or so. So uh, that'll test the 48 year old legs. We'll get more into this week in a moment, Greg. But first, I wanted to get some of your memories from that week back in Kiwa in 2012. I had a look at the scores. Friday was brutal. You shot 76 on the Friday there. Is that what stands out to you almost a decade later? There was some guy, I think there was a couple of blokes shot 90 plus. I think uh, Ricky Fowler shot 80. There were some really high scores. What do you recall about that week? And is it the Friday that stands out when you think back on it? Uh,. I, I remember the Sunday better because I'd played with John Daly and he was having a, a great day. He shot three under, I think, and probably should have shot five or six under. Mm-hmm. Um, and I shot par and I was pretty happy with that. Um, I just looked at my scorecard from Friday just recently and I saw I shot four over and I looked like I came home in a bit of an ambulance, turned an even par. And and uh, and and whatever wind direction you have, you'll face adversity on that back nine, whether it's going out for the first four holes or coming back in the last five. Um because I think once you make that par three turn on fourteen, you, whatever wind, if you if that's downwind, that means you just went out into the wind. So, um, and there's a lot of hazards and water and things to deal with visually. Um, it's a really 
cool Pete Dye. He does a lot of what he normally does, which is gives you big landing areas, um, but visually intimidating if you miss those. You know, so there's plenty of room. There'll be 50 yards of room if you include the rough quite often. But if you miss those, you will make double. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's going to be a cool week. I'm looking forward to watching. Yeah, indeed. Does that sort of golf, Greg, suit a style of player in particular? I mean. At the top of the game, golf seems to have sort of three categories, really. There's that the top 30 to 50 players in the world who are sort of got something special, the top 10 or 15 and maybe that little league above for the most part. And then you've got guys, and there's hundreds of them who can all really play, like really, really, really good players. Is there a certain sort of player or mindset that works particularly well for that sort of golf? Because you're right, visually, even on television, it looks terrifying, Kiwa. Right, and I think, I th- I think to me – my common sense brain kicks in and says it should suit someone like uh, the people that come to mind are like Cameron Smith or Abraham Answer, where you can punch the ball kind of flatter. Adam Scott, you know, that kind of ball flight, they don't, that's not in the air as long. Because, you know, obviously when you've got cross breezes and into the breezes, the more the ball is in the air and the higher you hit it, um, the further it can go offline. Um, so I like the look of someone. I, got, I pick Cam in one of my little sort of, not that I'm allowed to gamble, but let's just say <laughs> one of the things I uh, picks I've had this week, um, I've got Cam and Leash both in there because I know they can both have great short games and chip and putt well because there's going to be a few missed greens. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it's definitely suits someone who can, uh, in, in my, my head, that can just drive that ball in low. I, I've never liked the look of Adam Scott more going into a mm. tournament than this one. I, I, I just feel like the way he hits that, that shot, that sort of negates the wind because he, he hits such a heavy ball. Mm. And the way those, the greens seem to be set up, they're all sort of set up like little half volcanoes. I think that gives him some options to, you know, putt it up the slope or, or chip or something. Like I just think he's, he's really good at those, uh, around those sort of greens. We, we probably underrate his short game as we do with a lot of pretty swings and long hitters. We underrate just how good oh, they are. He's, he's superb. Around I, the I'm greens. S- I'm just reminded of Royal Sydney where he almost won that Australian Open where Rory beat him. Yeah. There was a lot. There's a lot of big raised yeah, greens like that around Royal Sydney. It, sure, it's it's Bermuda or Cooch instead of this Paspalum or whatever that is. But it just it gives me the same sort of vibe. I feel like Adam Scott plays well in those at that around those sort of greens. For someone like Adam Scott, Greg, this week, is it more about the physical or the mental? Because uh, clearly, uh, there's not much impro- to improve on if you're Adam Scott. And your worst is not a whole lot worse than your best for the most part. So I read a piece with him the other day. He's talked about having a bit of a, a mindset change back to what he was doing around 2013, 14 when he got to number one in the world. You'd be around him a fair bit on the tour, I'm sure, Greg. He's, he's, a, you know, he's, a, he's a good talkative sort of a bloke amongst his peers. At that level, what's more important for him this week? The way he's hitting it or the way he's feeling and thinking? Uh Oh, wow, mate. Uh, I'd say, look, you can think like a champion, but it doesn't matter if you're hitting it like garbage. Um, so, you, you know, it's always going to be uh, – like to think that with him, though, you re- you assume he's always going to hit it fantastically. Um, to me, it just comes down to how confident he is putting, I think, um, how confident he is rolling the ball with cross breezes, you know, when you're factoring in breeze and things like that. That's always a challenge. Um, to me, that's what it comes down to. I'd like to see him – um, you know, have a few go in early and, and confidence grows. And before you know it, you start, you start to throw roll momentum in the right direction. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that I think um, that'd be a – he's definitely going to be 
in the discussion, I think, this week because of uh, how he strikes the ball. Because it's going to, it's going to, when you have wind like this, and I'm, I'm hearing players complaining about hitting five irons when they're not used to hitting five irons <laughs> in the last four holes. Yes, indeed. And when you have wind like it's going to stress your short game, you know, because you're not going to hit every green. So yeah. I think there's a lot of pressure on guys, and you look to those guys that can uh, putt and chip well. In that sort of wind, is the long putter, particularly unanchored, perhaps more difficult, Greg? I would to, think so. Yeah. I've never tried it. I would think so. Um, you're standing more upright. Um, it's. I, I found. I've. I tried it. Well, I tried it just goofing around once, and it just. It just felt weird to me. Even. And, um, and it's not an area of the game I'm interested in changing too much. But yeah. It's, <laughs> Nor should you. It def- yeah. Right. It's definitely. Um, yeah. It's definitely. I think it's a trickier. I'd rather see someone. You know. Hands together. Um, feels like it should be easier when the wind's blowing 20 mile an hour. Yeah, um, and it does blow. You can only got to look at the TV coverage, the live from set the other day. <laughs> the camera's wobbling around, the flags are mm. horizontal in the background. It it certainly whips through there. You mentioned uh, Cam Smith and Mark Leishman. Lots and lots of people like Mark Leishman's chances this week. Is there anything in that theory, Greg? What's Leish is well into his 30s now. It's been a long time since he batted it around Warrnambool on a weekly basis in the breezes down there. Does that stay with you? Does that give him an advantage, his background, with where he's come from and how he learnt to play the game? Or do oh, you yeah. change because he's does. played all over the world since? Yeah, no, it does. I don't think you lose that skill. I know, you know, I grew up at, uh, you know, Shelley Beach Golf Club on the ocean and, and Royal Fremantle, the third windiest city in the world with a Freo doctor blown in. You don't lose that knowledge of how to keep the ball down, even though all the current products are designed to go up. Um, you can still force them to stay down if you need it to and control different windows of different different launches. And Leash is, um, he's a he's a high-spin uh, low ball launch guy anyway, which is, you know, the spin rate is is probably not perfect for this condition, but the way he can keep it down and squash that ball because he gets really steep on it and gets that thing, particularly with, you know, little pitch shots around the greens, is really cool. Um, and I think it provides for, you know, it's not a skill you lose. It provides a great opportunity for him this week. I like that idea because it, it seems like you've got to keep it down, but you've also got to stop the ball quickly. And these greens seem to be fairly receptive. I, it was the same grass when you were playing. I think they they went to Paspalum, well, maybe when the course was first created. But I assume so, yeah. yeah. Um, they, what, what were the playing characteristics like of that, Greg? Because, you know, Paspalum's a weed here in Australia. It's that clumpy, awful, fat-bladed stuff, which uh, you right. pull out of your yeah, lawn. You, yeah, you actually get, like, really <laughs> – it reminds me a little bit of um, – really good kaikuyu um you actually the ball just sits up nicely quite a lot um greens i found i remember them being um not they were cut, cut down quite a bit not particularly grainy um surprisingly uh and yeah i don't I, the rough sounds like they're talking based on what i've seen and read they're talking and listened to they're talking like the rough is up a little more this time um with a ball just it's only got to nestle down half a golf ball to cause problems because um, you get this kind of plays like Bermuda rough a little bit, a lot of flyers, doesn't need to be super long to cause cause an issue. So um, I'm really looking forward to seeing, I'd love to see a, a, an even par kind of week, like a real battle. Um, I think that that would be interesting change up from, you know, the previous week at the Byron Nelson, 24 under or whatever it was. So it, it, we haven't had a major in a while where even par mattered. So mm. it would be interesting to see if that could work out. We'll come back to how you make even par matter perhaps a little bit later, but you're right about the scoring. I wonder about this, Greg. I'm going to ask Adrian this, but have a think about it while he's answering. 
Gary Higo won twice on the European Tour, 25 under, then I think 27 under. Mm-hmm. 52 under for two tournaments for 140-something holes of golf is just staggering. 24 under we saw last week. Lots of people will tell you, Logue, that that's entertaining and that's what people want to see. What do you reckon about that? Oh, well, thank you for uh, introducing the latest issue of Golf Australia magazine. Uh, myself and Brendan James have this oh, uh, did you? little debate. No, I didn't know that, but I'll be Bogies versus birdies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I made the case, I was making the case that bogies are more entertaining than birdies. And and Brendan had to make the case that birdies are more entertaining. <laughs> Why does he always get the short end of the stick in those battles with you? <laughs> don't, don't you think that's... He, he's got the easier case, doesn't he? Birdies are more entertaining. I don't think so. Well, I, I thought... Bo- I think bogies are more entertaining. The, the There's no more entertaining 30 minutes of golf than that. That five that Jordan Spieth made on the thirteenth at Birkdale. Unless you're Matt Kuchar, yeah, <laughs> it was a real entertaining <laughs> exactly. <thing. laughs> um, but uh, and and also the way that bogey spurred him on to making a great a great streak of no yeah, a streak of you know a fantastic streak that he went on after that. Um, but it's the bogey that's the memorable bit. Uh, so yeah, I do find I just think there's a little bit more interest in seeing these blokes like Greg have to struggle a little bit um it, it seems like you've got to actually make multiple mistakes on most golf courses that these blokes play in order to make a bogey that's what pros don't do isn't it yeah you've really pros. got to compound a mistake it takes it it seems like the course has really got to take a couple of slashes at the guy before he starts to bleed and you, you just don't get that on most tour courses um but this place seems to be able to you know, back punishment up after punishment, which is is what is a good recipe for making a bogey. What do you reckon, Greg? Birdies, bogeys, pars, somewhere in between. I'm in a depends sort of camp, but I'd be interested in your thoughts on what makes for interesting golf. As a yeah, as a player, I, my least favourite weeks are like you know 24 under weeks because what it actually feels like to me, there's nothing. Well. Not nothing worse, but there's nothing stranger than driving to the course and already being nine shots behind. Um, <laughs> and feeling. you bogey the first and make a mistake early. You feel like you can't. You, you just feel like you have to make every putt you look at. It feels actually more intense and more pressure to me. I haven't. I've never dealt with it well in my career. I've always done better on weeks where ten under wins or eight under wins, rather than twenty odd under. Um, as a fan of the game. I think any time we have the same product all the time, it just ceases to be. It becomes less interesting. So I think we're due for an even par struggle. I want to see guys standing on seventeen. I want to see you know forty balls in the water. I want to see a bunch of carnage <laughs> just for a change. Um, you know, I really enjoyed. I think it was the players this year. I think it was Thursday or Friday when a bunch of guys just couldn't keep. They kept it in over the back of the green. It was fun to watch. I wouldn't want to play it. No, I was going to say. Yeah, it was really enjoyable. Like it was carnage, and I, I just think we're due for something more like that than the ho hum of oh yeah, there's no real challenge here. We put the tee up and they're hitting nine irons, you know. Mm. So um, I'd like yeah. to see a, a through the bag challenge for a change. Well, this course really does look like TPC Sawgrass by the Sea. Yeah, like a, a very similar shaping and um, it, a quite similar challenges that are presented. It's asking very similar questions. It seems to to what Sawgrass asks, right down to a uh, 17th hole that is uh, Make the do, hole. do or die. Or yeah. Maybe do, do or die. Yep. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Is it more a test of execution? Than, yeah, I'm listening to you talk about you know those weeks where you're driving to the course and you're already nine behind. It's got nothing to do with playing golf, really, has it? That's a mental thing, isn't it? <laughs> There's a lot of stuff wrapped up in that, Greg. Uh, I wonder where the... 
what what a course like this week does, how, who that are. Because Tiger famously is also not a great fan of the, the tournaments where 25 under wins because there's too many people with a chance. It's hard to separate yourself at an event like that, isn't it? If you're putting well, you're pretty much going to score well. That, that That's the key to that. You only really have to do one thing particularly well and the rest just okay. So what about that balance between the mental and the physical? What impact does that have driving to the course already nine behind? Uh, yeah, it does. It doesn't. You're right. It stresses the short game the most, the putting the most, um, and, and that's what last week was the Byron Nelson, and it was that was what I felt. There was we we couldn't good ball striking didn't separate you if you didn't make the putt when you hit your shot into ten feet, then you didn't separate from someone who just hold twenty footer. Um, versus this week at Kiwa, you are going to have to do everything well. Mm. It's it really is a perfect setup for a major. You're going to have to control ball flights. You're going to have to hit good long irons. You're going to have to putt well. You're going to have to chip well. It's going to stress every area of the game along with your mental approach in dealing with winning a major, um, particularly coming in 17, uh, 16, 17, 18, and 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. There's going to be th- Thursday through Saturday, the wind is going to be in on those holes from what I've read. So it's going to stress every area of your game, and that's what it should do. Um, and so that's that's the part I'm, I look forward to seeing. And I, I think that does make – the better ball strikers like an Adam Scott or Mark Leishman, whoever you want to pick, there's plenty of them, but it makes them stand out more. And that's that's the person – you're not going to fake your way through this no. week. Gives you the opportunity. It was Ram who said the other day that he was hoping the tees would be up because he hit a lot of five-iron. He didn't hit anything less than a five-iron into those last five oh. holes and amateurs all what, over the what world. What was he getting went, at? Was, the, he, yeah. was he getting at that it's unfair, therefore? Like, well, I don't like, know if he was saying that. Look, I think this is what I was going to ask you, Greg. I think he's of a generation that is just not used to that. Do we have a generation of top-level golfers for whom – well, I think it was Dustin who once famously said, I hit a lot of long irons here, and someone said, what's that mean? He said, six irons. <laughs> Right. For whom the notion right. of a four or a five iron into a green is just – it's almost unheard of unless it's sitting on a tee. And I wonder what impact that might have this week. Yeah, so I I, I saw Tony Finau yesterday uh, saying his last – the clubs he hit into the last five holes were three iron on the par three, four iron into a par four, three wood and an 80-yard pitch into a par five, four iron on 17, and three iron into 18. So – they, he said, I haven't hit irons like that into par fours. They're usually my par five irons. Mm-hmm. Um, to have four or five in a row. Now, if I was their length, I'd be wishing for that because that means so- someone like mm-hmm. me is reaching for a driver and a, a three wood, a head cover. Yeah, yeah. And m- chances of you hitting your four iron on the green, me hitting my hybrid and three wood, uh, y- you're still got a big advantage. So versus when you're hitting nine iron and I'm hitting seven iron or something like that, like it's just a. I would prefer that if I was John Rahm. I'd be like, no, have them reach for head covers and my excellent ball striking will stand out if I was John Rahm, basically. Is, is, um, there, is there something about this course, Greg, where the you've got those long hitters having being forced to hit longer irons than they're used to into these greens, but the miss is very penal, whereas where you play most weeks, the miss isn't isn't such a big penalty. but uh, and, and therefore, like I think... Um, you know, you you might be hitting uh, a wedge for your third shot into the eighteenth there, but that that's going to be from the fairway, and you're not going to miss the green. Well, uh, straightforwardish, as opposed to something diabolical from left it, or right. Exactly, of the green. exactly. Is there any merit in that? Is there some sort of a contest there between short hitter and? I'm just thinking of um, this was mentioned on the Friday actually, but I'm thinking of Aaron Hills where you had like Brooks up against Brian Harmon, and that that's the sort of duel that they were having. Yeah, I think I, I 
I think even even at my length, you're still even if you had a wood in your hand, you're still going to end up pin high-ish around the green at this level. Right. So you're still going to end up with a similar. You're just going to do, be doing it more often because you had to hit a wood into the green. I didn't mean to uh, imply you couldn't make the green in two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounded like I was pitching it from 100 yards on the last hole. Um, but um, um, yes, it, it look. I, I just think it's still it, it power is always an advantage, and if I was one of the longer guys, I'd be like it's so much easier for me to control my five iron than it is you your three wood on whatever hole you pick coming in. Yep. Um, put the tees back as far as you want, guys. I'm, it's it's just going to mean the longer guys come come through even more. Um, to, in my eyes, I, I really uh, tire of that debate of like you know is you know how do you combat length? Do you make the course longer? Do you make it shorter? Like, do you grow the rough? All this, it just—I'm just so sick of that debate. Like, just play every tournament at Royal Melbourne. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's, that's, that's the answer. Problem but. solved. Doesn't it bring sharply into focus, though, Greg? That whole famous Gary Player story of playing a course with ridiculously fast greens one week and talking about how much he loves fast greens, and the next week they're slow greens, and him talking about how much he loves slow greens. It's as much about the player who can get himself into the right mindset, is it not? If if Ram's already put off by the notion that he's got to hit five iron into each of the last four greens, he's doing himself a disservice, isn't he? Yeah, you better – yeah, I, I was surprised to hear that quote. Um, you better love whatever setup they give you. And if I was running this tournament, I would have heard that and just chuckled um, and gone, here you go, here's the back tees on the last four holes. Um, because, you know, for a change, you're going to get tested, you know, at the at the at that end of your bag. So I, I was a little surprised to see that, but um, – I probably, you know, I don't do. I also don't do interviews every single week like these guys do. No, so I'm sure they're put in spots where they just have to answer. <laughs> Got to have well, something to, um, to that point. One of Adam Scott's quotes from earlier in the week is he thinks these are the best greens he's ever seen. I love to hear that. Yeah, I really do love to hear that because I, I Talk, actually talking think, himself into it. Yeah, kind of. And I think Adam Scott's at that level, and Rory and Dustin. There's a few others where they're not their worst golf. They don't have to have their A game to be around mm-hmm. the area where it suddenly switches to a mental game almost completely. The physical becomes sort of automatic, and then it's it's a it's a different ball game. Those last. You're speaking from of, experience. No, 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 no. Just I I think that that's <laughs> what it is. I've always thought, Greg, and this is going to sound ridiculous too. I'm sure. I've always thought the professional golfers put too much stock in the physical well I'll, I'll say this we are we are one of the few sports and i said this just recently we are one of the few sports that seem to be infatuated with technique mm. um and at our level uh, quite often the difference is not technique it's it's just how your ability to um you know focus and adjust because your technique really doesn't change a lot it takes years to change it seems um, but you don't, I don't know, we don't seem to talk about that. They don't break down tennis serve techniques after every serve like we do in golf. You know, like there's certain sports where it seems like we're just infatuated, certainly in Australia too, infatuated pretty swings, you know. Um, I wonder what role TV plays in that as well. Somebody misses a fairway. We get to see their swing broken down in slow-mo from two different angles while somebody in the commentary booth tells you why they missed it yes. left or right because there's time to do it. There's no time in tennis. Once you've, once you've faulted, Ball's in the air again for the second serve, and the game moves on. I wonder what role TV might have to play with that uh, as well. A lot of people will tell you, Greg, we're seeing more funky swings again like we used to see in the 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. getting the job done than we did for a long period there through the 90s and 2000s because of TrackMan, and people have gone back to the notion it really doesn't matter what it looks like. And I know you've worked with Brad Hughes. He's big on the notion that backswings don't matter. Mm-hmm. Impact is what matters, and that's what TrackMan can sort of teach you. Do you see that as well? 
Yeah, I do. Uh, like you, th- I, the couple that come to mind is you know, uh, well, Ricky Fowler was a little funky when yep. when he's playing his best golf, and Matt Wolf has come out with a mm-hmm. pretty goofy, you know, kind of look and action. Um, certainly doesn't tick all the boxes of what looks pretty in terms of what people would say, like an Adam Scott looking swing up and down the plane. Um, yeah, there's a few guys rolling out now where it's and and I think young America and John Rahm has you know a different kind of action, a short um, kind of matches his build short and stocky and just powers through it. Um, now we've got Bryson doing what he's doing. Um, yeah, there's a lot of variety, and I like that. I mm. think Americans and people who grow up playing golf over here, um, they're infatuated with shooting 63 and less infatuated with what it looks like getting there. Uh-huh. Um, you know, they have this very uber-competitive college programs where no one really cares what your swing looks like. Just get the thing in the hole. Um, so there's – and TrackMan gives you the ability not to worry about certain – positions in your swing and just worry more about what's happening through the bottom through the impact zone so um yeah we'd certainly the knowledge we have now is unbelievable you know and you you don't lack for lack for knowledge that's for sure too much in some ways oh possibly depends on you know i use TrackMan myself for different for for wedge control and i use it to match feels to what's actually going on like if i like to feel a draw feel which is hitting the inside corner of the ball i want the path of the club to move in that direction i'll use it for that uh, but there are a lot of guys carrying them around and using them day in, day out. Um, I, I don't know what the threshold is on. At some point, you have to look up and just hit the ball at a target. Um, but, yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of guys who are really embracing the mathematical side of the game. Um, and if it works and you get the ball in the hole quicker, congratulations. So keep doing do what works for you. Um, I don't know that I could do, you know, Bryson's approach wouldn't work for everyone the same way, you know, someone who's – yeah, I think of like a Seve wouldn't work for everyone either. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, it's horses for courses. Great joy of the game, isn't it? That Hogan and Seve can both be ultra successful in the same game. Mm. Polar opposites in personality and styles of play and everything else. Sorry, I think right. I jumped in on you. Were you going to say something there, like? Oh, that's right. Well, I had a Trackman lesson. Uh, well, it's a long time ago now, but the thing that really impressed me about it was that you can you, you can marry up. Oh, this feel produces that result. Mm-hmm. Um, like Greg was saying there, and. There's nothing else in golf that can do that at that pace. Like you can you can look at your ball flight and get some sense, but it, it's really surprising what your club head is doing when it's measured to that level. And I, I, I think you can make a case that should be, you know, the internet these days is like a considered a human right for golfers. Trackman, <laughs> track, trackman should be like a human <laughs> right. right. Like it, it would be, it would increase the people's enjoyment of the game. When you, you join a club, they give you a trackman. <laughs> if anyone from Golf Australia is listening, that's the thing that you could grow do to grow the game: is invest in trackman lessons for for all. Uh, it should be treated like a human right. If you once you get that feedback loop tightened up, like oh, this field produces that result, your golf will improve. Yeah. That's really true. I was really interested to hear you say that, Greg. Another of Brad Hughes' sayings over time has always been feel versus real. We we rarely do what we feel like we're doing, don't we? TrackMan is the devo- the device that actually tells you. I know that Dustin Johnson used it to sharpen up his wedge game a couple of years ago, and that's the Dustin Johnson we see now. He always had the power, but now he's got those three-quarter, the 85% shots. He's, he's taught himself all of that by using the TrackMan as a guide, and that's the sensible way to do it, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, and and that's the area of the game on the business end, the scoring end. Like to me, doing a driver lesson or something on TrackMan, I don't. I get su- a little bit out of that. But when you're talking about trying to hit a wedge shot exactly, you know, somewhere between you know 98 and 102 yards, and you can get a feel for that exactly, because those pins are cut three, four from edges. You can't afford to be seven yards out um, you, if you want to attack them. So you get to marry your your 
your feel to what's actually happening and you get the exact number and you can get really dialed in if you get really good at it um, and you can start to really fall in love with you know what layout yardages where do you want to hit the ball if you get offline and you can really then dial in what you what numbers you have yeah, this driver lesson from a man who just posted his numbers the other day boasting about his new personal best speed was that was you wasn't Boom. it <laughs> hey? yeah yeah loving it Boom, knocking it uh, knocking it <laughs> Knocking out of the party. Just on DJ, I don't know whether you saw this today. He's having his press conference, and someone asked him about what putter he's using this week. He said, oh, it's a Taylor May. And they said, yeah, but what model? And he said, oh, I really don't know. <laughs> he's great, isn't he? Was he built for golf, Greg? I mean, as a men- mentally, I don't think there's anyone better in the game in so many ways than Dustin Johnson, and that's a prime Oh, my example. God. Uh, yes, yes, because the ability just to – he has – you always have to have a right amount of don't care, and he has it in bucket loads. Yeah. Um, because honestly, I would have topped myself after three putting the US Open 18th hole to cough it up. And he just walks, well, let me just win again in a few weeks' time. Like, I'll win the US Open a couple of years later. No biggie. Yeah. I, I mean, I, just amazing trait to, to be able to just have things roll off his back and, that's ah, fine, get it next time. It's kind um, of... A, a- it really didn't change my opinion of him per se, but I've, I started looking at him very differently after he cried when he won the Masters mm-hmm. because the the temptation is to have thought before that exactly as you've just outlined, Greg, is to think, oh, does DJ really care? As long as the money's rolling in, uh, DJ doesn't seem to care, but that was genuine, that emotion when he won the Masters. Like, okay, yeah, he does care. Maybe he just doesn't show it so often because you had that incident in 2011 at um, Whistling Straits when he mm-hmm. hit out of the – you know, he was, <laughs> that whole thing and how he dealt with that was just... Well, at that point in his career, he probably felt, I'm going to get so many of these opportunities, but, you know, that's, yeah. that's not how golf pans out, is it? Indeed. What, what's the take on tour, Greg, about you're out there talking to all of your fellow pros all the time and you're around these guys. Who do, who do the guys think are the best? We always debate it in the media and carry on about it as fans. Who are genuinely the best players? Who do you want hitting a five-iron for you if your life depends on it? Who do you want putting for you if your life depends on it? Oh, you, you, we've, you know, no, no surprises. Um, you're always talking about guys that are at the top of their game. I, I mean, I, I haven't played with Dustin and myself, but I watched him on the range. Uh, he's in the discussion. I've played with Rory. Um, you know, Scotty's in that discussion when it comes to ball striking. Um, I'm hearing a lot of good things about Victor Hovland right now. Um, John Rahm. You know, rattle off this. Uh, Xander Schauffele seems to always fly under the radar. Yet he'll be probably around at the end of the you know end of the week. Um, you know, so there's a lot, and I think obviously Brooks when he's healthy. Um, I don't know if he, he says he was yesterday. So. He always says um, he is until after the event when it turns out he wasn't. Yeah, which is a mindset. Yeah, I'd like, I'd you like have to, to do see, it, don't you? Yeah, yeah. It, it, tough when your knees are stuffed if you can't practice and you can't put the love into the game to get ready. But um, yeah, look, there's there, there's no one sort of there's no one surprising. I think when you when we when we sit down and sort of assess who's really good at hitting a golf ball, um, it's no different than your general fan. Um, you the, the same names come up. Yeah, and I, here's where I think it. Maybe different for the real golf nerds. I reckon what you've done with your career is almost as impressive in a different kind of way as what the best players do. To survive on the PGA Tour, what have you been out there now? Twenty years, mm-hmm. close to. Yeah, yeah. About this is uh, my seventeenth, but I've had a few years on the like a handful on the other one. The the the, um, the sort of back and forth. Ferret. That yeah. That- that shows an ex- extraordinary commitment, and I wonder whether the difference in some ways might be. DJ looks to me like he fell into the world. Just had, all he had to do was pick a sport, 
Could have been basketball, could have been football, could have been tennis. Whatever he picked, he would have been just naturally good at it. And for him, 20 years on tour wouldn't necessarily mean anything. There's a whole different thing that comes with that. I watched you play around at, I think it was Lake Carinup over in Perth, Greg, where you had nothing. I think you were just off the plane, a bunch of family and friends there watching who don't get to watch you very often. And you hit it in the water a couple of times and you took off your shoes and socks there and pitched it out here, there, and everything. And no give up. It's a maybe different sort of impressive golf, but to me, I think that's as impressive as anything that DJ Adam Scott does. Yeah, it's just a uh, yeah, it's it's the less talented version of grinding, right? <laughs> it's a and and look, I've always said everyone has a talent pool, and all I have to do be, to be competitive, I have to dive to the bottom of my pool. Now, it mine might only be thirty feet deep, but theirs might be a hundred and. Look, they don't have to go as deep to beat me, but I'm hoping they have an average day, and I go to I go to all the way out of my talent. So, um, it's I enjoy that battle. I guess is the right word, and I had for a long time. And I'm I'm hoping I'd love to get to 500 events on the PGA Tour. A lot of guys have done that. That doesn't really matter to them, but that would really matter to me if I could. Um, Where are you, you know, Get 500 events in, but how many? Are you um, at I'm now? close. How many are you at now? I think I've got 400, and I need a couple of seasons. I've got 400 and. 60 odd okay um but uh i'm gonna 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 get close if if i get my card back in august uh i'll have an opportunity and i'm i'm hitting it the furthest i've ever hit it in my life um i'm healthy and uh i just i just need i'd I'd like to see some more opportunities bit of rhythm going and uh, see what happens what sort of golf suits you then on the pga tour i've always felt that for a lot of australians i'd probably put you in this class well the pga tour style of golf and the whole hoopla of america doesn't necessarily suit our guys personality wise the best michael campbell really struggled when he went to the states uh in that period where he was playing really well and won the us open and never liked it greg turner never liked america just as a place you're obviously comfortable in america you got family there and you're settled in dallas and whatnot but it's a different sort of golf and a different sort of culture isn't it uh, yes, yes. And look, I look to places like um, if, if I was going to pick places that I think, hey, this is where I could do well, it'd be places like Riviera. Uh, that feels like Australia to me. The greens get firm. You've got to think a little bit. Eight to ten under is probably going to win. Um, and then places like Colonial, um, you know, and pick anywhere where someone like an Abraham answer, you know, I have to play better to get to what he's been playing. But that kind of game is in my wheelhouse. Greensboro comes to mind at Sedgwick. That's a similar golf course where you don't have to shoot 40 million under par and you don't have to have Beth Page black length. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, there's some weeks over here where honestly, uh, you know, I'm about to do the US Open qualifier. And if that, if I get in and that it's, I get to San Diego and we have two inches of rain, I'm no chance. And I know that. Um, I need the green, I need everything to be firm and fast to show up to an event that length. Um, so yeah, there's, there's some events that just uh, you're up against it. There's, I was just sort of thinking about sort of styles of golf and whatnot. There's different tests of execution in there. 25 under is one sort of execution, isn't it? Perhaps the driver's a little less important. Irons become very important in that sort of scoring, and putting becomes supremely important. You've got to make the most of all of your opportunities. Super narrow golf courses with really heavy rough either side of the really penal like we might think about the old US Opens of the 80s and 90s. They're a different sort of test of execution, aren't they? What are the courses that test thought and execution? Are they the ones that you're talking about? I always look to Royal Melbourne as that, and maybe St Andrews too in a lot of ways, that style of golf, and Augusta in, in many ways, where it's a combination of being able to think clearly and then execute both as opposed to just a test of execution. Does that make any sense to a professional golfer like you, or are they all just golf courses hit it out there and hit it on the green? 
No, I, I, I think um, the game is moving towards these, uh, I think Elkington said it best, where guys are hitting it in zones, right? You know, they're not really worried about the fairway per se. They just have this, well, cone of dispersion, basically. Um, and I prefer golf courses to play and compete on where you actually look at where the pin is first while you're standing on the tee and you play from that. Crazy talk. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, you, and that's what Royal Melbourne does. Um, it makes you consider, if you're going to use a cone of dispersion, it makes you consider, well, th- I need to be on that side over there because it makes the second shot easier for me because the greens are releasing 30 feet. Yeah. Um, greens firm changes everything. Yeah. Uh, last week we didn't have that. And so, honestly, you know, last week I didn't look one time and worry about one time what side or where, what, you know, I know people, there's this argument that angles don't matter. I didn't look one time um, last week because they didn't matter. Their greens are soft. Um, I like greens firm and a bit of thinking going on and, um, and forcing guys to um, make different decisions about how they're going to play a hole and, and what choices they're going to have. So many times now it seems like, you just smash. Um, I don't think we're going to see that this week, though. I think we're going to see guys really consider what they're doing and and uh, and force them to um, really hit the ball correctly and straight. Golf, yeah, I mean, golf is more interesting when the ball is on the ground and, and rolling on the ground. Although I don't think we're going to see too much of that this week. I, I I don't know if the interest is going to come from the ground game at Kiowa. No, it doesn't. It seems very sticky and uh, yeah, and and not receptive to the ground game but there, there's a different sort of a challenge there with you know the targets that you're hitting at i was going to say golf's maybe a, there's still a strategy to it yeah it's just it's a, more at its most interesting i think ernie Els summed this up beautifully at the president's cup in 2019 which is where you want to hit the ball is not the ultimate target it's not its destination that's when golf gets to its most interesting i think because it's a test of judgment execution skill creativity creative thinking there's places at Royal Melbourne, Greg, where you know you need to land it here to get it near the hole. But if you miss that spot, you can be in a diabolical position where even the best players in the world need to realistically think double bogey might not be a bad get out of jail here. Right, right, and and look, and that's that comes down to to me in my brain, it comes down to the firmness of those conditions. Firmness exaggerates misses. Mm-hmm. So now the ball is has missed its landing mark, and now it's rolling further offline. Because of, if it was wet and soft, it just stops on the spot and you're fine. Yep. Um, so that that firmness changes everything. And, and of course, you, you have the perfect design at a place like Royal Melbourne where we're going to let you run the ball on the green mm-hmm. um, versus over here it is, no, you can't do that. We have a lot of forced carries um, and a lot of green rough and green grass that that, uh, that changes all of that. So and a it's, lot a, of golf it's a rare well, – pl- we play many events over here where the greens are firmer on Tuesday in the practice round. Maddening. Drives me crazy. Wow. Firmer on Tuesday than they are on Thursday. <laughs> that is madness. And, of course, in fairness, as Lou Brown picked me up on last week in terms of golf in America, and this is true in lots of parts of Australia too, it's not necessarily possible to have firm and fast golf everywhere where you can bounce balls onto golf mm-hmm. greens. Kike doesn't really lend itself to that particularly well no. here in Sydney, no matter how hard to you keep work to the plant alive, you've got to put You can do it at Riviera for a week, but you can't present yeah. it like that all year yeah. because the course dies. So you don't always have that opportunity sort of necessarily. Is there a generation of golfers, Greg, for whom – Golf in the air is the only form of golf. It feels to me like yes. if you're an elite yes. golfer, that that's and that's where that decade stuff and all that really works. There's no question about that. I mean, it's mathematically the data tells you it works. But it feels like feels like there's a generation of golfers perhaps missing out on something. 
Well, it's interesting. I'm working with a young fellow right now. He's a junior in high school, very good golfer, going to go to a, a Texas uh, Christian TCU just down the road here when he gets graduates, crushes it. And I was, one of the shots I was teaching him was a low shot. And his version and my version were vastly different in terms of the windows they start at. And I play with guys, and you play with a lot of young guys now, and they, they don't even attempt a low shot. They just take another extra club and because the balls don't, they don't climb like they used. They, they just kind of go through the the wind. Now, this is America. We don't play in super heavy oceanside winds. Maybe a handful of times, LA and San Diego, a couple of times. But predominantly, the wind doesn't touch the ball as much as it can at a place like Kiwa, at a place like uh, think you know seaside in Australia or Scotland or wherever, um, where the wind is it is heavier. Um, so yes, you, you've are forced, you know, growing up, I was forced to keep the ball down because it just, there was no point in it being in the air. It would just go further offline. Yeah. Uh, but we're seeing that's a, it's a dying skill, rightly or wrongly. It is, a, it's definitely not, not the young fellas aren't doing it as much. So the ultimate question then becomes, I'll start again, have a think about this, Greg, while I ask low, cause it's probably a trickier proposition for you. Is that a more interesting form of the game to watch? If we accept that professional golf is just entertainment, is a one-dimensional style, and I'm putting this on the tee for you, like, mm-hmm. is a one-dimensional style ultimately more interesting to watch? Or is the PGA Tour relying on something other than the golf to drive interest in the game? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's not more... In- like Greg said at the start, th- what you want is some variety. And uh, I-, I don't mind seeing some target golf during the year. Which is incredibly impressive, and it's not like that's easy to do. It's not like you, no. I can go and play target golf. You've got to know how to golf your ball to do it. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, I, just the imbalance on the PGA Tour seems to be way skewed in favour of just hitting targets with soft soft targets. I mean, they're actually probably not that soft if you and I were playing them. No, but, for proper golf. But the, the way the PGA Tour players hit the ball and, and the, the, the physics of it works out that they're able to stick it and there's not a lot of strategy going on it's just belt it and and hit your target and week in week out that's that's boring um so i'd like to see a bit more variety um i mean i'd like to see more than just stroke play every week and i think that's where this i don't know if you're fielding any offers from the saudis (laughs) great but that's where um i'd like to see the tournaments mixed up the whole thing is obviously broken at the moment and the PGA Tour aren't going to fix it. Well, is so, it broken? You're a player on the PGA Tour. Greg, surely it's never been a better time well, to be a PGA Tour player. Greg, Greg, I think, is especially... I wonder how many wins Greg would have had if every tournament was Stableford scoring, for example, rather than four rounds of stroke. <laughs> yes, yeah. that'd be useful. That'd be useful. <laughs> Australians would dominate, wouldn't they? Yeah, maybe. What do you reckon, Greg? Has it ever been a better time to be a PGA Tour golfer? And does that mean that it's still going to be never a better time in 10 years' time? How far ahead does the tour need to look? It's a player organisation. Yeah, I, uh, you say that, but I don't know how much input they, they do what they please. Um, so I don't know how much input the players actually have. It's, uh, it's kind of sometimes feels Some like... Some of the players input. plenty. Uh, most of the players not much, I would suggest. Is right, probably how right. It works. And, uh, and yes, uh, I'm not driving TV ratings in my household. I know that. So um, that's that. my voice is not... It's not equal. So that's, un- that's understandable. It's how the world works. But... Um, look, I think they think it's pretty healthy. I, I would prefer to see, like Adrian said, I'd prefer to see a little more variety to um, the, the product. Um, I think we see a lot of weeks like last week at Byron 
Um, I would like to – where honestly it feels like you could be in the same city every week uh, and watching someone shooting 20 under. I'd like to see um, – that's why I'm really hoping for a week this week where we, we – uh, you know, like when's the last time we saw even par win a tournament? God, um, I can't remember. It's and, been a long time. And, and right, and guys really working and really grinding yeah. and, you know, really – struggling if they bogey a hole because they know they've got this stretch coming up that's just brutal um it just doesn't happen that much these days but and that that's you know like i said and adrian pointed out again it's anytime you have the same product over and over and over that becomes less interesting to me yeah kiwi every Um, week would be uninteresting too wouldn't it if we did this every week it would become uninteresting right right, pretty quickly and if we played royal melbourne every week it'd be but i'd like to you know i feel like we're getting nine out of ten weeks how how the through the air people want it. I, I'd like to get more than one mm-hmm. of what I like. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, um, <laughs> well, selfishly, you know. Ultimately, is the PGA Tour banking on you this time first, Greg, and then Logue, you can go second. Is the PGA Tour banking on this huge well of non-golfers who are going to come and flock to the sport as an audience and to contribute to the TV money that they can make as an entertainment product? And is that necessarily the right move? I'm still firmly of the belief, even having had it explained to me very beautifully by Richard Gillis once why I was completely wrong and I agree with him but I still can't help but think your golf viewer is a golfer in a way that no other sport works people watch football soccer tennis ice hockey all sorts of other sports that they either have never and certainly will never play again and I don't think golf is like that I think to be a golf fan and to understand the game and to really engage it you need to be a player so is that what they're hoping for and is that a sensible way forward uh, it, it, no, it's not. That's probably not what they're hoping for at all. And they're, they're probably hoping more for the peripheral fan. They because you're always going to get the golf player fan. You're always, they're always on the hook because they're, they love the game. So they will watch and to grow the game. Um, then with the advent of things like top golf over here, which, you know, which is basically think bowling alleys of the 1970s, you know, you can eat and drink and, and hit balls into these targets and there's all these computers chips inside the golf balls and these targets you can't miss these targets they're all lit up and there's swing pools there and it's a it's this really cool facility they're booming over here right um and i've got a couple of friends whose wives have watched golf who aren't never touched a club and never will um they're just into it because they yeah they're not really into football and i don't like i don't like basketball but i can i watch these guys they're outside and they get into it so I don't know that the PGA Tour would want a, a world where it's just golfers who play. Now, having said that, it's pretty healthy right now. I just spoke to my golf club that I and their rounds are up. They mm. their max rounds for the year are up like thirty uh, percent um, from any highest year previous. With with you know people with COVID getting out and about playing, so I think they're pretty pleased with the participation at the moment. Um, but they definitely would want to see. Um, you know, the peripheral fan is how they need to grow the game. Now, whether or not they go ahead and pick a club up, uh, that's that we could talk all day about that. Like, my friend may never pick a club up, but she may one day go, I want to try it. I don't know. I don't know that we've got the figures yet. And it's always been the question about Top Golf is does it contribute to the golf playing fraternity? Do, do people go to Top Golf for the entertainment, enjoy it, and then go the next step and take up golf? That would be an interesting statistic to know. I don't know whether you ever can. But that's the interesting statistic to know in terms of golf. So, like, the basic question is the PGA Tour are hoping to attract a whole bunch of people who don't play golf, uh, and is that the right strategy? Oh, I had all that time to think of an answer to that. Time. And you didn't do it, did you? Um, yeah. Listen to Greg instead, <laughs> which is the smart thing to do. Good <laughs> on you. Absolutely. Uh, look, I, I, the PGA Tour isn't in the business of trying to grow participation in should golf. They, should they be? 
uh, well, by your theory that they'll get more viewers if you've played the game, you're going to take an interest in watching the game at the highest level. By that logic, yes, but uh, I, I, I just don't think it's a focus for them. They're, they're, they're a member-run organisation and um, in the end, I think most of their day-to-day is just consumed with keeping the membership happy and running tournaments and th- those bigger strate- those bigger sort of shifts in strategy uh, I, I just don't get the attention that they possibly need. It's like really taking a step back from their business and looking at it and saying, oh, okay, the way for us to grow the PGA Tour or to sustain the PGA Tour is to try and grow participation in golf. Therefore, that'll lead to... Like, it's the same with the equipment companies, right? The, that's... They do nothing to grow the, participation the way, either. Exactly. The way <laughs> to get... to way to sell more clubs would be to grow participation in golf. But they, And they probably talk about that in their little off-site strategy sessions. They never but do. I don't think it ever translates. It, it does take... One of those big organisations takes quite a lot for them to transition and it's like moving a big ship. It's it's very difficult for them to to take it from one of those off-site strategy sessions into an actual plan that they're going to execute um, because they're just so busy with their day-to-day stuff of making golf clubs or running tournaments or keeping members happy. So um, it, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, that's all the more reason just to shake the whole thing up. I, I really like Adam Scott's position on the thing where he's, you know, he, he says there's only seven or eight tournaments a year which are worth going to for him. Um, and, uh, and and I think for most viewers of golf, those correlate exactly to the seven or eight tournaments that are worth watching. Yeah. And so what do you do about all of the others? If you're if you're trying to make a product that's that's trying to get eyeballs and and you've got one of your top players saying that and most people agreeing with him that yeah those those are the only ones I'm going to watch. Uh, well you, you just got to you got to change it. it. You know, it's it's not going to roll on there's forever. Some, well there's some interesting questions there about what role personality plays. None of those things were an issue when Tiger Woods was at the top of the game. They were an issue prior to, well, it, and it mate, become an issue when again. Tiger was at the top of the game. It went, it grew to maybe twelve or fifteen tournaments that everyone. Well, oh, anything he teed up in, of exactly. Course. But everything else sort of grew off the back of that, which brings us interestingly and neatly to this question, Greg. I don't know, is Logue right? Have have Premier Golf League or Super Golf League approached you yet? <laughs> Good one. Uh, yes, I didn't. Get, I've, I've missed that email. It must have gone through to spam. Um, <laughs> It's in your no. junk folder. That's a thirty million dollar. Yeah, no, and I saw I saw the PGA Seth War came out and said uh, mm-hmm. you're not welcome in the Brighter Cup or the uh, or the tournament if you play on, you know, this league, and then you you know put that against what uh, Paper Tiger Lee Westwood I said. I think no it'd way. be mad. I'd be mad to knock back fifty million pounds or something. So um, I think what the Premier Golf League, what I would hate about it is it lacks, you know, anything that, it's, again, it's, it'd be the same product week in, week out, same players-ish, you know. Would, you'd need a pathway to that. Um, and then you would also need um, a time for history to build up because some of the greatest things about our tournaments are looking back at, I remember, you know, in this time when this person did this, mm-hmm. particularly our biggest tournaments. And if you don't have that history, it's um, I think the Presence Cup sometimes suffers a little bit because it doesn't have the, the rich Ryder Cup history so much. Yeah. And it, those kind of things would really hurt the, um, you know, P- Premier Golf League should it come about. Um, and that's, you know, a couple of things I might, that popped to mind that I'm not a fan of. 
Well, there's there's sort of two in the offing. There's the the, the Super Golf League, as we now know, which is now the Saudi-backed one. The Premier Golf League, which they were backing, still apparently lurking in the background. In fact, they might be the winners out of this bold move by the Saudis this week. Eamon Lynch wrote this morning that they had a big meeting with some players and managers and sort of clarifying exactly what it is that they're offering, which could actually be the end of the the Saudi-backed Super League, which only plays into the hands of the Premier Golf League, who can sit back and watch what unfolds there. What's your take generally, though, Greg? Does Is this the motivation the PGA Tour needs to look into fixing what they can't see as a broken product, which but which potentially needs to be better? That's what this disruption stuff tends to do. There's no reason in 2017 for the PGA Tour to look at anything they're doing and think that they need to do it differently. Does this is this the thing that makes them start to think? Well, maybe we do need to think about doing some different things. It's a really interesting yes. thing that's happened because it's it's never happened to the PGA Tour before. They've never had a legitimate threat. No, no, you're right, and 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 here it is on their doorstep. So, and I think they're working pretty hard to squash it with this. You know, the PIP program they've announced, the player performance thing, whoever gets the most clicks on their on their websites or on their. Instagram or whatever. Ah, so now we know why you're on Twitter. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's yes, not a media so career you're after. It's a slice of the 10 million, the 40 million. Yeah. I I said to them, because I've been telling the tour that I've been carrying this tour for years between <laughs> me and Tiger Woods. So I said to them uh, just last week, I said to one of the press guys, is this money going to be retro? Are we going to get, I'm going to get payback for all these years of service. But uh, it did, it fell on deaf ears so far. Um, yeah. So look, I'll be intrigued to see. It may force them to make, the sad thing for me would be the changes they'd have to make would be going to a model where you get even more versions of top players, smaller fields, yeah. and moving towards a world of just the best 50 players we can get the most time. So a NASCAR model, every two weeks they play and they appear. Um, that's what the model would move towards should um, the the premier golf league or whatever you want to call it win um where it gets really interesting to me is if i'm them and giving you all this money i own you and you will play when i say you play Mm -hmm. and that's a new world that golfers don't live in because you know what it might be my wife's birthday i don't feel like playing that week well we pay you 20 million to play so let's get get on your horse and get here so that's a world that'd be interesting because these players aren't used to being told what to do and when to do it so uh, that, the that illusion of to see if that actually gets comes in into the picture. Yeah, there's the illusion of free agency at the moment, isn't there? Just enough. Well, they, well, they well they don't they don't answer to the tour as a master. They well, do answer to, they do answer to corporations. So Nike owns Tiger. The tour has and, and seems to have enough stuff, like enough little constraints that they they get their slice of the of flesh. It's worked for everybody. I mean, I remember Tiger early in his career. There was a there was a, a blah. You might remember this too, Greg. I think it was going to be around two thousand. It was at what used to be called the Mercedes Championship, the season opener. What's it called now? The the one in Hawaii, the Tournament of Champions. Century, I think, sponsoring. And Mercedes sponsored it at the time, and of course, Tiger had to deal with Buick. Hmm. And of course, he was in the field all the time. Mm-hmm. And there was a there was a push and shove moment between him and Tim Fincham about that, where these he was probably one of the first who had corporate sponsorships big enough that it would cause tension. You know, Buick don't want to see him standing there holding up a trophy with a Mercedes logo in the background. They mm. pay him a lot of money every year. So those tensions, I just feel like that comes from a different source. You do away with the need for corporate sponsors if the tour is paying you the $50 million and you're employed by them because that's what you're essentially talking about, Greg. It's the difference between being an employee like a football player 
where you've got a contract right. and here are the terms of the contract mm. and an independent contractor where the tour allows you to be a member because you've met certain criteria and then you can pick and choose where it is that you want to play. And I agree that's a that's a big difference. If you haven't read, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, a link to Wayne Lynch's piece. Oh, I was, was going to be... It was going to be Eamon Lynch or Tom, or Tom Gillis. Richard Gillis. Richard Gillis. Yeah. <laughs> Lynch's piece is brilliant because it lays out what that stark decision means for those players. Now, I didn't realise this. When – who won in Saudi this year? Was it Dustin Johnson again? Yep. No RBC logo on his shirt that week. Really? Yeah. Mm. He's a, they're, a, they're a sponsor of his, significant sponsor of his. We need conspiracy music. And that week he had no logo on his shirt. Now, it's quite feasible that RBC asked him to remove that for that week because of where he was playing. So the stark decision these players face, and Lynch lays it out beautifully, is you're not going to recover from the PR hit that you take. So as a straight business decision, are they giving you enough money to pay for the PR hit you're going to take by going across them? I'm not sure the fan interest is there either, Greg. Speaking of Richard Gillis, he does a magnificent sports podcast called the Unofficial Partner Podcast, and he had a guy on there who... I think came up with the concept of the Champions League, perhaps. But he said the mistake that a lot of people make is just to think that because you have these great fixtures where Man United play Liverpool or whatever it might be, that all you have to do to be successful is have more of those fixtures. But that's actually not right. A bit like the the Olympics. It's the dearth of those meetings that actually make them... If the Olympics was every year, it wouldn't be as interesting. So the notion of having the top players play against each other constantly sounds like it should be more interesting, but in effect might actually not be. There's something in well, there, isn't and there? I would throw in it as well. I, I feel like you lose the hope that your personal team can get in there as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the part of the reason why the Champions League is so great is there's always that mini hope that Tottenham or whoever can make it in there. Yeah. Um, and, and you lose that if you just have the same, you know, pick the teams out of a hat and say, you guys are the winners, you're the big clubs, and, and or you're the players that get to do it. What's the pathway to get to that? Yeah. Where's the hope that I can get in there? Um, that'd be, that's where it gets, it loses its, uh, loses its place a little bit for me. Where's the corn ferry tour? And that's exactly right. right. This, this is the, this is the problem that those leagues don't seem to have answered that question. Is that, okay, fine. Let's say this year you get the forty-eight players, ten of whom we think move the needle. Where do the next ten who move the needle come from? Mm-hmm. Who's breeding those players for you? Well, it becomes right. probably a lot more like Formula One, where. You, you need to show some track record, like you need to have performed at Formula 3 and Formula 2 level, but uh, in the end, you're selected yeah. into a team based on what corporate so, sponsorship, what sort of money you're bringing in, what your profile's like, you know, how good looking you are. <laughs> like that, that's, There's All a sort of bunch of factors like that that are taken into account in this team selection and the way a team is made up and... So for Super League, if the PGA Tour and the European Tour, which are almost the same entity now, say that their bylaws will state if people want to play the PGA Tour or European Tour, they agree not to go and play for the Super League at some point, then they don't have any feeder tours, do they? And I I agree with you. I think that's the biggest problem. You might make it work for a year or two, but I don't see the fans flocking to watch meaningless golf because the player's getting paid heaps of money to do it. So I'm not sure what it is they're banking on in the longer term. It doesn't feel like a long-term proposal. Um, and that would be my – and golf is a long-term game, as you say. You yourself pointed out the other day, Greg, watching one of Rob Williamson's great videos on Twitter. Mm. Great swing of yours. You think, why the hell did I ever change that? Yes. Yes. It's, uh, it's always a challenge. It's frustrating when you look back and I'm like – I saw that and I was like, my heavens, that looks pretty good. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I'm still trying to get back to some of those positions right now. Crazy. I have to rewatch that uh, Australian Open at 
Royal Adelaide. But did, am I right? You made a seven on one hole coming on the, on the way on the day four. Is that right? Uh, not to my knowledge. I <laughs> oh, okay. Quickly. All right. Maybe, two maybe or three under through six, and then I think I, I kind of made a couple of bogeys coming in, but it was a bit of bit of hemorrhaging going on. But hung on tight. It was a pretty windy, tough day. Oh, maybe he's remiss of me not to mention the intro. Two-time Australian yeah. Open champion, yep. two-time Australian PGA winner, including an epic playoff against Adam yep. Scott. Yep. What they go for seven holes? I think there was you, Wade Ormsby, and Adam, and then Wade dropped out, and it was you and Adam replayed the hole almost exactly the same way <laughs> seven times before finally got it done. Uh, where does that stand in the world? You must be extraordinarily proud, Greg, as you should be, particularly of the Australian Open wins and particularly yeah. in the fields of the two Australian Opens. You won it in 98, the week before the President's Cup, with a remarkably strong field and did it again in 2011 with an incredibly strong field at the lakes there that included Tiger making mm-hmm. a charge on the last day. Where does that stand in world golf? Do, do, do your fellow players on the PGA Tour appreciate that? And what's that like, by the way, to have a chance to win the National mm-hmm. Open and uh, the Premier Trophy yeah. of the Professional League here yeah. in Australia? I, mate, I, I, um, I don't know where it stands. I, look, I, I know um, I, I feel like I've overachieved. I feel like I'm getting max value out of my, my abilities particularly when I come to Australia. Um, so I I enjoy that sort of journey of trying to do that over and over and again and again. I'd love to come down and do it again at the end of the year. If we, if you could organise the Australian government to change a few rules, that would be great. <laughs> yes. um, but, um, no, uh, look, players don't talk about that stuff as much as you might think we do. We really don't. Um, like, I don't, no one sits around going, hey, well done, Greg, um, now that it's nine years, ten years later since the last time you won the Australian Open or something. Um, they may be at the time. They might go, oh, that was really cool. But um, I don't know where it stands um, in Australia, their eyes. Australian it matters amateur to me, and that's all that matters. Yeah. So I'm happy. Just let me ask the question in a different way. When you're announced on the first tee in the States, how many professional wins do they announce? They don't. They don't do that. Um, they don't, that they rarely they just announce just your name and where you're from, and off you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, they don't do that. Um, they might do it at the Australian Open and the PGA. Um, they even even rarely do it there, to be honest, which is kind of disappointing. I'd like to hear that. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's uh, that's not something that happens. Well, when here. when somebody interviews you in America, how many professional wins are they talking about you having having had? Is it is it the one at uh, if they've Barracuda? done no if they've done their research? They, I'd like to think they'd Wikipedia or do something at least. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Is it is it just based on you know what you've achieved in America, or is there something else to it? Um, I I'd look at it. I'd be disappointed if I was asked that question by anybody and they didn't mention they didn't have the number right. Yeah. Um, I'd certainly point that out. We often assume in the media, Greg, and lots of players have said it over the years, and I I wonder if it's true. And you can answer it for us because you've done it twice. Most Australian players would put the Australian Open, or certainly there was a time they'd put the Australian Open fifth in importance behind the four majors to win their National Open. Would you agree with that? Would, is that is that how you feel about it? Yeah, it is. It is. And I, that's not just platitude. I, I do really mm. believe that in my heart. But, um, I, you know, I don't know what, it, you know, there's some players who don't come back and play. So, obviously, it's not super special um, to, for some guys. Um, it's I, important It's for such the a difficult thing when you're overseas and you've been here all year and, you know, there's money involved or what, whatever it is that's involved, it's a personal decision. But I've always enjoyed coming back, mainly because um, 
I want to see some friends and family, and I love the golf courses. And 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 I got to be honest, we've been playing against on harder you know setups with pins three from the edge all year. You come home and see a pin six from the edge, you're like, oh my heavens, there's no short side. This is great. Um, so you you feel it's just a breath of fresh air. It's just great. And you can have a pie, Greg. You de- you de- oh, you denied I'm pies all year, guy, right? I'm hey? a sausage roll. Guy. We just had some delivered to the house. I had <laughs> some for dinner three nights ago. We found this Aussie shop over here. Got them sent over in a freezer bag, and I put, I smashed six of them for dinner the other night <laughs> just because I was home by myself. You know, I, I think I've told this done. story before publicly, but one of my favourite things in the media centre at Australian tournaments until recently, the food was one of those pie warmers, and it had mm-hmm. little party pies. And little sausage rolls. That's that's what they had, and that's what you sort. Of, and they were just there all day. That, they just that's kept still a staple. They're still there, <laughs> but they had proper lunches as well and whatnot during the day. But at the ninety nine Australian Open at Royal Sydney, the year Aaron Baddeley won, you would have played that year, I'm sure, Greg. We were standing at the front of the press tent, myself and BJ from Golf Australia magazine, and Craig Parry walked in there. I think he was going to see Kathy Shear or something. And we were standing at the front smoking, which I don't do anymore, thankfully. Standing at the front smoking, and he, he disappeared. And about five minutes later, he came back out. <laughs> And in his hand, he had piled up, I'm going to say five party pies in his left hand. And with his right hand, he was putting a sixth in his mouth. And we sort of both turned and looked at him at the same time. And he sort of looked at us and he had to say something. With a half moment, he goes, how good's this? Free pies. <laughs> <laughs> it made his week. He was so oh, stoked. Yeah. I don't know how he managed to not understand. There were free pies in the media center if you just went in there. It was fantastic stuff. Uh, wonderful stuff. Greg, we've kept you longer than we meant to, uh, but it's been fantastic to chat to you, mate. Really enjoy your stuff on Twitter. If you don't follow Greg on Twitter, do so. He's interesting, thoughtful, eloquent, uh, and contributes wonderfully to the game, I think. And in that whole ongoing space, well, we call it the distance debate, but to mm-hmm. me it's really about what do we as golfers want golf to look like. And everyone has a right to have their say and their thoughts, and you've been playing the game at the very top level for a long time, Greg, and so your contributions are always really welcome, I think, and I think you think this stuff through really well. You're in that... Interesting space, aren't you? You're still at the top level of the game, probably on the back nine of your career, but you can Harsh. see the game from a place. Oh, well, 48. Look, now now that I'm you're hitting it. I know I'm not on the front nine. <laughs> <laughs> you might be at the halfway house. Uh, yeah. now, now that you're oh, hitting it a bit further, Greg, you, you, there's more legitimacy when you join the uh, that distance debate as well. So, you know. That. Dude, I've been, I, yeah, I've been working really hard on, on that for a couple of years now since my back got healthy. I've been building strength and, yeah. Just carried it like you saw my post. I carried it 300 yards for the first time in my life in testing. Um, but I'm going back to venues now that we play year in, year out, and I'm playing them differently based on new length. And and so my goal is my goal originally was just not lose length as I got older. Um, but now I'm looking at you know hopefully playing the Champions Tour one day, and but at the very least being healthy enough to be one of the longer guys you get out there. So How have you done it, cool. by the way, Greg? Because you're right, you've had back issues over there. I think you were ice bathing on a daily basis there for a long time. You've got arthritis. Yeah, yeah, so we've got good drugs now. We've found some good anti-inflammatories and fixed all that. Fabulous. Um, so I don't have to do that. So, yeah, it's been it's been a pretty cool. I got I had a bit of blood spinning done and injections, and but, uh, yeah, some anti-inflammatories, a horse start every day is uh, working well. Fabulous. And, and what physically? Are you like Bryson? Are you smashing the protein shakes, the... Sausage rolls and <laughs> no, spending well, four hours do, in the gym I every do, day? We do throw some weight around. Um, you know, I'm up to sort of – I started – when I started with back issues, I could deadlift. As an example, I could deadlift like 50 pounds, and now I can deadlift like 300. Wow. Um, so, it, you know, you can you can lift a lot of weight and build a lot of strength. Um, I've got a really smart trainer without putting on um, a lot of muscle. It's, it's quite difficult in my age bracket uh, to put on a, that kind of bulk. So 
I can get a lot stronger. And then when you have that strength, you support the speed, mm. uh, control the club head. Um, you know, my trainer sort of said, if we don't have the strength to support the speed, you won't. Your body will just slow down um, to to control the face. So I'm doing a I'm doing a decent job of it. I'm really happy with, uh, and it's it's fun for me. I go three days a week, three to four days a week every morning. Um, it's good fun. That's um, what are you pointing at? Oh, you don't worry about that. Oh, He's okay. pointing at stuff over you. It's stuff he doesn't understand, Greg. Don't you hate that? People who don't understand telling you how <laughs> Greg, to do Greg, stuff. No, He's He's got his thing with all lights on it, and there's a there's a horrible flashing warning light coming up there. Very fancy the setup I've got here. Yeah. yeah. Abort, abort, yeah. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, well, mate, it's look, it's great to hear. Uh, sounds like there might be good times ahead for Greg Chalmers, which is great news. Uh, you're good for the game. It's been a real pleasure to chat to you today. I uh, really enjoyed it. If anybody hasn't done so, I did a thing about golf episode with Greg Chalmers last year, which was fantastic. Fantastic. Got some good response at the time. We talked about all sorts of stuff, not just golf, so uh, it was all good fun. You've always been more than generous with your time, mate, probably too generous in some ways, and you have been again today. So all I can say is thank you very much, and enjoy watching the golf this week, as will we. Yes, it's a pleasure, guys, and uh, looking forward to seeing even par win. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll test you on that. I'll send you a message next week when we see what the numbers yes. actually are. It's professional golfer wouldn't know this, this end from that low. Great to have you on board today, mate. Thank you. Thanks, Rod. Yeah, even par would be good outcome. I'm actually really looking forward to this tournament, watching this tournament. It looks like a course that's playable and playable at a championship level. I agree. Uh, unlike, <laughs> don't get started down that road. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it too, as I haven't done for quite a while, looking forward to a golf tournament. So that's episode 76 of the Good Good Podcast in the book. Episode 77 next week when we'll have a result. Look forward to your company then. <laughs>